Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Ambiguous Podcast Solution. I am your host one more time, Will Tarashuk, the founder of Ambiguous Podcast Solutions. And this is the podcast, this is your first time listening, first off, welcome. Um, but this is the podcast where myself, a podcaster, talks to other podcasters about their journey, how they got here, their goals for the future, and how this their story, who they are as people. So I am very excited to be joined this week by Jeff Vargin, who is an award-winning filmmaker, having written, produced, and directed nearly 300 videos for Fortune 500 companies and entertainment outlets worldwide. And he's also the host of the High Adventures podcast. Jeff, welcome to the show. Thank you, Will. It's great to be here. Yeah, it's great to have you here. So I, I did a little bit of digging on you, um, and you have had a pretty pretty successful career. So tell me, who who are you? What exactly is it you do in... Like what's what's what is what is the Jeff Vargin story? <laughs> um, it's been a long and winding road for sure. And how far back you want to go, I don't know, but it goes back a long way. Um, basically, I am a filmmaker. I've worked in dozens of different environments, from corporate video making videos for you know Fortune 500 companies to doing uh, entertainment stuff, working on television shows back in the day. Um, a little bit of feature film stuff, but mostly these last few years, I've focused on documentaries and adventure documentaries, which then sort of dovetailed into a web series that I did, and that dovetailed into podcasting. And really, it became something that I wanted to do because there's stories I wanted to tell as a documentary filmmaker, but looking at these stories objectively um, and not as a idealistic filmmaker, at some point in your career, you have to make that shift so that what you're doing has an audience and that it's a career, not a hobby. So I have to look at a material, piece of material and say, is this right for a film? Is this right for a book? What would this be? Um, and I found that podcasting has given me the opportunity to tell stories mm. that couldn't be told really any other way um, on a budget that and in an environment and way I want to do it. So um, the first couple seasons of my High Adventure podcast were both stories that I wanted to do documentary films, but knowing this would take, you know, five, six, seven years to raise the money, to shoot it, to edit it, to get it out there. And, you know, podcasting just seems like a really great way to tell stories. Yeah. So you are, you are experienced in the actual film and TV landscape, but so how, but how long have you been in the podcast game? I started my first podcast probably four or five years ago. It was called The Accidental Podcast, which is, you know, still lives in a couple environments out there on YouTube land. Um, and I did that for a, a couple of years. And then and it was me and a partner and we would, you know, sort of do our banter. But it was very much outdoor adventure related. We interviewed mountaineers from around the world. And mm. um you know, that, that sort of ran its course and I waited a year or so and tried to figure out what I wanted to do. I knew I wanted to do a different podcast and decided I wanted to do it solo and I wanted to do it as single stories per season. I wanted to really dive down into these stories and these were stories that had to have two things in it. There had to be an airplane hmm. and it had to take place in the mountains and that was my criteria. And so... I'd already had a couple of stories in mind with those two things. I've got 
third season as an airplane and some adventure. So, um, you know, that's, that was sort of my two things I wanted to do. And here it is. We're heading into season three. All right. Well, congratulations. Hopefully, uh, when, when season three is scheduled to drop? Um, sometime late spring. Okay. Um, given these, you know, these, these stories that I do, the research is intensive and the writing is intensive. I mean, my, my last script for my final episode of season two was, you know, a 60 page book really that you know turned into the podcast mm -hmm. so it, it takes me a long time to write them and and i don't necessarily have a deadline i don't put them out as regularly as i should um so that being said i'm starting a couple other podcasts this this year that will sort of expand on that and have more content out there and give my audience content while i'm working on the deeper dive stories mm -hmm. and are, are a lot of them kind of focused on like the outdoors, I guess, like the uh, the mountain man kind of theme. Like it's you, you strike me as someone who loves to camp. You know, it's funny because I don't like to camp, but I've camped more. I've slept outdoors more than I've ever slept indoors. It's because what I like to do involves outdoors. It's just yeah, camping is one of the things <laughs> I don't like. To do. um, but I've been a rock climber for forty years, so I you know I spent a significant amount of time sleeping on the side of rocks, on ledges, on hanging portal ledges, those kind of things. So. It, you know, yeah, I do the outdoor thing because this really became my wheelhouse. Spending this many years and in, in some of my documentary work and my web series work was with rock climbers and mountaineers. So this is kind of my community. So when I started the podcast, um, the original one, I just called my friends and said, hey, do you want to be interviewed for this? And they said, sure. Um, for for. And let me know if I'm getting ahead of myself here, but for younger podcasters and for younger filmmakers, one of the things that you get to do once you're a little lazier and older is you build a certain amount of content. I've got right. hard drives full of content. So how do you repackage that to give it to a new audience? So something like my web series that I did. I'm in the process next year of, of relaunching all that material as a podcast because I have all these extensive interviews. So cutting out the video, taking the audio, and then creating a whole new podcast with this content. And it's already lived as a web series. Now I'm just presenting it to an audience in slightly different format. Um, and so even with filmmaking, you try to maximize your outlet. So if you make a film, then you edit your film together. We all know about DVDs and the bonus footage that goes on. Mm -hmm. So that's another stream for your content. An additional stream could be that you're selling stock footage to whoever if you've got beautiful shots. So it's, it's always a way to maximize your content. Do work once and get paid two or three times has always been my, my uh, mantra. Interesting, because like that's – that's now this isn't this isn't like necessarily a new thing, but that's that's a lot of my whole thing when it comes to podcasting. It's I use the term recycle your content, right? right? Like if you do an hour interview, you can take video, chop it up, you know, put it on YouTube, Instagram, yada 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 yada. So it's interesting that people. It, so that that kind of comes from Hollywood. It kind of comes from the film industry. Cause I never I never thought of the special features as they're doing it because they have extra content, or I didn't even thought of selling some of their scenery shots as stock footage. So that's, is, is, are there, are there more similarities between the filmmaking world and the podcasting world? 
I think there are. I think, you know, one of the failures of podcasts that I listen to is lack of preparation. The failure of many films is lack of preparation. Hmm. And really the writing uh, falls apart. I listen to tons of podcasts. I love true crime. I listen to all kinds of stuff. And I love the story times. But if, if the story isn't written well, I can't listen to it. I'll go find another way to get that story if I like the story. And, you know, in true crime, it's interesting because there's tons of stories, but there's 50 podcasts doing the same story. So you can really sort of hear people and their commitment to actually telling the story. Right. Or they just committed to a podcast. And I think there's a difference there. People want to hear their own voice and people want to, you know, get boost their egos by the number of downloads. Or are they interested in creating good content that may take a little longer to find an audience, but ultimately you'll have a more satisfied audience and a return audience than just blasting out, you know, blood and gore or whatever you want to blast out. But if you don't write it well and you can't hear, I just, I just watched one of your podcasts recently. And one of the things you said, which I was nodding the entire way through is that if you don't have good sound, it'll kill your podcast. Mm -hmm. And that's like watching a film that's out of focus. It's, it's lazy and it's, you know, I don't understand why people would just jump in and, and use their phone for their microphone. It drives me nuts. It drives me absolutely crazy. It's like, yeah, you can do this. You can do all of this. Now, I don't, if someone's just starting, I don't suggest they go out and buy like the RE20, whatever the microphone I have right here. It's like, you know, the the one Stern uses, right? It's like $500. I don't, it took me, it took me years to build up the confidence and get this. But I wasn't just like, I'm going to start on my phone. I bought a $100 uh, Amazon kit. It was like mm-hmm. it came with a stick microphone, an XLR cord, and a, mic- a, a, a single channel mixer. Right. Right. So like there, there is there is that middle ground. So it's kind of the idea of who are you podcasting for? Are you podcasting right. for yourself? Or are you podcasting for your audience? And I think most people, I shouldn't say most. That's a generalization. Some people are doing it for themselves. Mm. They're not doing it for the long haul. You know, there's long haulers and short haulers. There's people who just want to hit, and if it doesn't work in three episodes, they're gone. And there's some people that will do it for years and have very few downloads, but that's, I mean, they're enjoying what they're doing, and they're telling stories, and they're passionate about what they're doing. And I think anything in the arts, if you do it for anything other than the love of it, you're never going to survive, really. Right, right. Um, a, A career in the arts is really hard. And I think that it's it's certainly possible and can be you can make a living at it, um, but you have to love it because the business end and the difficulty of it, it's so hard that if you don't love it, you should get out of it and make it a hobby. But you're right. The hundred dollar Amazon kit is a thousand times better than walking around the park with your iPhone thinking somebody's going to be so enamored with your opinions of everything you see. Um it reminds me of the old days, and you're maybe too young to remember, but way back in the day in the 80s, we had what was called um, public access television, mm-hmm. where anybody could go down to the local station and come up with a show, and they would put you on. Because Wayne's World. Federal law. Wayne's World, exactly. <laughs> Wayne's World. And if you think about podcasting now, it really is the public access of the airwaves. Mm. Yeah, that's, there, that's there's brilliant. There's good stuff, and there's not good stuff. Yeah. Yeah, it, it really it really depends. I mean, with any with any 
profession. You get out what you put in. But I feel like that's specifically true um, with podcasting. And at least in my experience in production and in... I haven't worked on like TV and film, but I have worked on plenty of productions mm-hmm. um, being mm-hmm. on set as a PA or even like as a, as a producer. And currently I, I create a lot of content for online YouTube, Twitter, and LinkedIn content. So it's, 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 it's not the same. It's not the same as TV and film, but it's, it's, it's a similar attitude. Like you're going to get out what you put in. Well, you know, uh, people ask me, there's this mystique and mystery around movies and television and, um, you know, even podcasting, which is why this podcast is terrific to help folks out. But, you know, it, it's a manufacturing process. And there's no difference in making a film than making a car on assembly line. You have to go through certain steps to get your product out there. So I think people are paralyzed sometimes by their own ideas and they're paralyzed by where to start and how to get there. And then sometimes they'll just throw it out there without really doing the work necessary. So if you're going to make a film, you have to come up with the idea mm-hmm. and you have to write the script. So there's your design of the automobile. Then you have to get the people involved who want to help you out. So you have the assembly line and it moves from the writing stage to the pre-production stage to the planning. You're going to retool your factory. So you're going to make this project with this car. And then you move into the manufacturing. That's production. It's the nuts and bolts. And there's nothing glamorous about getting up at four in the morning getting the sunrise shot and sticking around for the sunset shot and going to bed after 20 hours of work. There's no glamour in that, but it is the assembly line work. And then when you get to post-production, you're doing the painting and finishing and polishing it up. And the next thing you have to do is you have to sell that car and you've got to sell your content and your product. So if you follow a manufacturing model, you don't get lost in the esoteric, am I creative, am I not creative? There is room in the arts for everyone at every level and every ability, but you got to follow the steps. Mm-hmm. Um, if you, you know, Steven Spielberg is famous for having extensive storyboards. He's always on time. He's always on budget. That comes from a process. It doesn't come because he just goes, well, I'm Steven Spielberg. When we walk on the set, it'll happen by itself. It won't, you know, he, he understands the manufacturing process. And that's really podcasting is the same thing. You know, you plan what you're going to do. You get your equipment set up, you get it recorded, you get it edited, and then you market it out there. It's the same sort of process. And I think if we can demystify the arts, um, people won't be so paralyzed and they might try something more than just um, some, one of the things that frustrates me and maybe people will get angry at me out there, but I see all these people promoting their podcast of tune in. I'm really funny and um, hear my take on the day's events. I don't care what these people have to say about the day's events. I really don't. I can turn on television and see experts. Why do I want to hear, have a guy who has the same opinion as I do? You know, it's um, I like conversations, but I don't necessarily want to listen to people just tell me stuff. Mm. You know, it's bar, it's ballroom chat really yeah there's no bars so yeah i mean there's definitely there's definitely a market there's always going to be market for people voicing their opinions um <laughs> trust me i'm one of them um well and let me break in and say there you know if you're like i know you have a wrestling thing that's fantastic because yeah. that that is a structure for your opinion 
But the unstructured tune in, I'm going to talk about whatever I want to talk about today, that doesn't interest me. Right. But I will tune in to listen to you talk about wrestling or you talk about, you know, professional baseball or something that I have an interest in. But general interest podcasts, I find um, a little bit, you know, boring, really. So I guess someone does like a, like a, like a, like a, like a Dear Diary podcast. This is what I did today. That kind of thing. Like, there's just no general topic, right? So, like, it's it, it kind of goes back to the idea of, you know, it, it's not structured. It's not planned. They kind of skip the pre-production. It's kind of saying, screw it. See what happens. Yeah, see what happens. And then uh, some of those folks get upset when nobody tunes in, you know? Well, yeah. I don't know. Well, there's a market out there. There's something for everybody out there. That's a thing. And, it, and that's what I do love about podcasting is there is something for everybody. Yeah. Um, People approach me often, and um, I, I have a sort of subset of my company called Now What? And people have ideas for films, and people have footage that they've shot. They've gone on these amazing locations to climb a mountain or to ride a bicycle. Or um, I did a film recently or a couple of years ago about a guy who, who ran across Canada unassisted. And I met this guy at a film festival. I was in England showing one of my films at this festival. And I met this guy in the lobby of the hotel. And he's like, I have all this footage of this guy running across Canada. Nobody's ever done this before. Uh, do you want to look at some of my footage? And I'm eating breakfast in the restaurant. I go, yeah, pop it open. So he pops open his laptop. I look at his content. He had no structure. He had no story. He had no nothing. But his images were beautiful. And this guy was compelling. So... I said, let's make this film because he didn't know what to do with it. So that was our now what? He comes to me and says, now what do I do with it? Well, I bring it in and I will pick people from whoever I need to get. And we will take that footage and we'll craft it into a story. And sometimes we become partners with them. And sometimes I'll acquire that footage and make the film myself. Mm -hmm. um, but a lot of people have some great ideas and they don't know what to do with them. So and some people have great ideas and they're afraid to do them or, you know, that's what frustrates me about some of these opinion things. It's like, you're clearly got a great voice and you've got great production and you're an interesting person. Why aren't you doing more? I just want them to be better. Well, I think a lot of people will tell you it's, it's the time commitment. It takes a lot of time. Like one of the, I always ask my guests, how much time do you spend on your podcast a week? And every single one of them gives a different answer. Mm -hmm. So, Jeff, how much time mm -hmm. do you spend on your podcast per week? Well, I can tell you to write the script. Um, my goal is to sound conversational. My whole idea all the time is that we're sitting around a campfire and I'm telling you a story. Mm -hmm. That's that's my goal in my presentation. It's taken me a long time to find my voice. It's taken me dozens and dozens of, of podcasts to finally think, okay, here's how I want to present. Here's my voice. But I'll spend probably two weeks writing an episode. Um, it will take me about two to three hours to record it. And it'll take me about a day and a half to two days to edit it. Um, Cause I am doing a single story. So I do add sound effects at times. I do add music. Um, I don't have commercials. I've never solicited commercials. I've never solicited a Patreon. I've never done any of that. Um, mainly because I really want my game to be as good as it possibly can be before I start trying to get out there 
and present this as something ready for purchase mm. or ready to be advertised. So I think as I go into season three and as I start a couple of these other podcasts will be the first time that I actually try to figure out how I'm going to monetize this. Cause I've, you know, my last podcast episode, which is one of the things I'm doing, I'm letting the cat out of the bag a little bit. So I have this, my season two ended up being about six and a half hours of content for one story. So I'm taking all those episodes, I'm remixing, I'm re-editing, I'm putting them together as chapters, and I'm releasing them under a different title as an Amazon audiobook. Hmm. Um, just to, again, I've already done most of the work. Um, so retitling a new thumbnail and put it out as an audiobook for two bucks. You know, and recycling the content exactly. Recycling the content, and some of my my audience who was frustrated by me, my slowness of my episodes coming out. Um, I you know sort of tested them a little bit and said, "What do you think?" And they go, "We would love to have something that we can just go in a six hour car drive and listen to the story all the way through." Well, there's just here it is, and you don't have to listen to my opening and my closing and my right. you know introductions each time. Those all be, each each episode becomes a chapter. Um, so again, recycling the content takes very little effort. Um, it's mostly just a technical thing to, you know, chop some st- things out and do a little remix and record little intros and outros, simple stuff. So recycling the content and that I am going to try to monetize. Now, do you do all this yourself or do you have a team working with you? I am the team. You this are, is this me. is a one man crew. One man crew. Good yeah. Lord. So this is, this really, this is like your primary, you used to be a primary job then. This and I have a few films in development. Yeah, but COVID okay. has sort of shut down our production. I had three films I was going to shoot in 2020, and those all sort of got pushed until next summer. Yeah, that was so. that was a silly question. I know I know people in film. They always they're always working multiple jobs. Oh, <laughs> hell, I'm hell. I'm always working multiple jobs. Trust me, I understand. Right, I'm right, I'm a contractor right. myself, so I understand the struggle and the hustle. Um, so I guess uh, back to so the audiobook. That's really fascinating. So you you really do take the recycled content and even this recycled content, but it, it works because I think the most successful podcasters are the ones who give the audiences the most choices. Mm-hmm. How do you want to consume my content? Mm-hmm. Great. Here you go. Mm-hmm. So, and you kind of have that cornered. So well, who, 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 taught, who taught you this? Like who is you? I guess who is your mentor? Is this something that kind of you sat down and thought of? And it's like you know what? Like are you are you a product of your environment, or did someone kind of show you show you these tricks of the trade? I, nobody showed me these tricks, but I guess I maybe was aware of it. You know, as you come through independent film, and you're aware of how things are done. Say, for instance, you watch an independent film. I could watch an independent film, and. I could pretty much guess what their budget was. Mm. And I, and if I see some really beautiful shots and I see this, I know it's stock footage. I know, you know, what's what it's, so it, it's, I guess it's always been part of the way we do things back in the days when I was doing corporate videos, I did a lot of work in high tech. Um, so we would produce a video for a Silicon Valley client. And then within that same company, they might have somebody else needs a video and they contact us and say, we need a video. We saw that one you have over here. Well, 
really all that is is I'm going to change some of the talking head um, interviews. I'm going to change the script, but the stock footage that I shot, say the factory footage or, you know, people in design or all this sort of just generic stuff that can be used in the next video. So it's, it's not even a filmmaker's trick. It's just a way to maximize some, not to do work twice, I guess, always right. is to try to work. My mantra has always been to work smart and not hard. So if I can use the same shot in three different films, why would I go out and shoot it three times? That's expensive. So I'm going to get paid once. Well, I'm going to get paid three times for the content that I use, that I made once now. So, and, and one of the things I do is, you know, projects that I do do, um, I make sure that I retain all the rights to the footage. I never give away the rights to the footage. Uh, and I don't give away the rights to the project. I always retain all those rights. So I have no, everything's a clean chain that I can put it anywhere I want, anytime I want. So no actor, nobody can come back to me, no interview and say, um, you know, hey, you used my video, my interview in that film and you used it in the webcast and you then you used it in the podcast. Um, where's my extra bump? All right, well, it doesn't exist because you signed the release that says I have the rights to all of that. And mm -hmm. I'm not hiding it. I explain that to them up front. And, you know, that's just the way it is. I'm the one, you know, a lot of times in, in the films I've done, they're self-financed. So I'm financing the stuff belongs to me. And I prefer it that way, actually. I know, for sure. You got to make sure the money goes stays in your pocket. Right. Um, so what made you want to create the High Adventures podcast. How, tell me, walk me through the beginning of that. How you came up with the name? What, like, what made you want to do this? I know you mentioned earlier you wanted it to be a documentary. And it was just mm -hmm. mostly budget reasons, but was there anything else? Yeah, there, there's a story that goes around Yosemite, which actually is season one of my story about a a plane crash in the backcountry of Yosemite that happened in 1977, and. The guys flying the plane were flying 6,000 pounds of smuggled marijuana um, on a, a normal run that they had. So this plane, and it was in about this time of year, actually, this plane's flying over the mountains, and it crashes into a frozen lake 25 miles from anyone. No one knows about it. No one's seen anything. Um, the guy's wife knows that he didn't show up. Uh, the people that are waiting for the drugs know he didn't show up, and there's, you know, He's missing, but it's not really something anybody can talk about. So some hikers were walking by and they found some wreckage of the plane. Well, they took it back to the rangers and brought it, you know, and then so the rangers went and looked and they found this plane stuck in this frozen lake. And they looked at it and it was January and they said, nobody's coming back here to do anything with this plane. We'll come back in the spring and we'll salvage it. Well, this plane had 6,000 pounds of marijuana. It was a big smuggling operation. Well, when it got back down to Yosemite Valley, the um, the rangers sort of let it slip and some other people heard and some rock climbers found out and they start walking back to this plane and salvaging the marijuana. And massive amounts of marijuana got back to the, the valley and ultimately to San Francisco and ultimately into Los Angeles. So if you smoked marijuana in 1977, there's a really good chance you smoked marijuana from this plane because huh. so many people got marijuana out of this. And these were guys who were living sort of on the fringes. They're climbers, they're hikers, they're living in the, you know, in tents. The next thing you know, you see brand new cars, you see 
climbers buying houses. You see businesses being started. There are some outdoor equipment businesses that are household names that were started on the backs of this weed. And those guys don't want to talk about it now because they're all grandfathers and they got grandkids. Um, but there are people that do talk about it. And I've known about this story. I was climbing back in those days and I always heard this story though I wasn't one of the ones that went to the plane but I knew many people that did and I thought over the years this would be a great documentary but it was just such an obscure thing and there's so many people that don't want to talk about it that um, I finally decided well a podcast would be the greatest thing so calling it high adventure is sort of you know the innuendo of the marijuana um, mm. and it had a plane and so then I thought Let's just do that. So, you know, I, I did some research. I went and interviewed some people that I knew who were heavily involved in going to the plane. Um, and they told me their stories. And I just crafted this, you know, it's probably eight episodes. But um, and then from that, I dovetailed onto this other story that, that nobody really knew much about. And ironically, a new book was just published two weeks ago. Um, and this is about a guy who had never climbed before it's from england he never had any outdoor experience and he wasn't a pilot but he decided he wanted to climb mount everest and this is 1933 he makes this decision it was 20 years before everest was climbed he with no experience he decided what i'll do is i'll fly a biplane to the slopes of everest crash in the side of the mountain get out and walk to the top and i'll be the first person ever to climb everest well, he didn't know how to fly either. So he bought a plane. He took flying lessons. He learned to fly. He modified this plane. He flew 5,000 miles into uh, India and was stopped. And he was stopped at almost every turn by the, the British government, who didn't want this guy to succeed because they are funding these huge climbing expeditions to get to the top of Everest. And this guy's just circumventing all of it. So he ultimately, 1934, he makes his attempt. And um, it's, it's truly a wild, wild story. He's a guy that was a hero in World War I. He has virtually no use of his left arm. He mm. has tuberculosis. He's got PTSD. And he's got a desire to be the first person to stand on Everest. And he found a way to try to make that happen. And it's, it's like no story I'd ever come across before. So how did you research this story? Like, did you have to go through, like, old newspapers, books? I'm, I'm assuming there's not many people you could actually physically talk to that are left from something that's that old, even relatives. Right. Um, so, like, t walk me through your process for pre-production. This was interesting because I, I ultimately didn't even know how the story ended. Uh, hmm. for season two before I started. I I have, you know, several research materials, some books. I did some internet research, but I got a hold of his diary, um, which was really valuable. So I'm reading what this guy was thinking day after day on the side of Everest in 100-mile-an-hour winds and 90 degrees below zero, and he's wearing, you know, boots that are lined in cork, and he's wearing silk underwear, and he's, you know – it's insane what he's going through. Um, so I'm reading through his diary and I'm reading accounts of the story. I had a couple of research books which were written 30 years apart, which had a very different writing style and a di very different way to approach the story. One was very much 
textbook-like, and the other one was very much um, written in how people were feeling about this whole thing. Because at, at the time, he was he was becoming a worldwide celebrity for making this attempt, but he's just been sort of lost to history. Um, so I, I did a lot of that kind of research, and then I did my episodes as I was learning, I was telling my audience about it. So, you know, I'm not giving any spoilers because I don't know what the spoilers are yet. You know, you know, people were sending me messages going, yeah, tell me what happens. I'm like, I don't know what happens. You're finding out as I find out. Mm -hmm. So that was, that was kind of fun, but it does take a lot longer to do the research. So, you know, every time I would find like a paragraph in a book, that paragraph might turn into six pages of content that I'm, that I'm speaking for the podcast. So, um, you know, I throw in some thoughts and opinions and some modern day um, experiences that modern climbers face that, that he was facing that people die from today and he was facing it then. So I, I'm, because of my experience in mountaineering and some people that I know that have gone to the Himalayas, I kind of know what it's like over there. So I was able to equate the, the local or the, the modern stuff with the old stuff. And, um, you know, it's, I've had four friends that have gone to the Himalaya to go climbing. Only two of them came back alive. Oh, man. So it is a very, very serious place. Um, and in um, one case, I, I have a great interview with uh, a really great friend of mine who went over there to do some first ascents. And uh, she was, you know, coming onto the climbing scene, probably one of the, you know, 15 best climbers in the world. And uh, she didn't come back. And she had called me the week before she left. And she's like, you know, Jeff, I have a bad feeling about this. And I don't, I don't know how it's going to go. I'm just nervous. And I said, I'm nervous too. And uh, two days, well, two weeks later, I got a text that she had died on the mountain. Um, but so what I did is I, for one of my episodes, I have a 30 minute interview I've done for her with her with the different projects, just her telling you what drives high level athletes like that to risk their lives. Mm -hmm. What is it about her and what is it internally that makes her want to do this? Cause she's had, she had quite a, some, some really horrible falls and she had to overcome. And then she ended up getting to the top of her, her game and it ended up killing her. Um, so, you know, I throw in some interviews like that for some perspective, some modern right. perspective of what's like, now, I believe it was last year or the year before where it was like the, the, the free climbing guy won an Oscar for his documentary. Yeah, um, Jimmy Chin made the, made the film and Alex Honnold was the climber. Yes. So um, I bring that up because clearly there is, there is an audience for this mm -hmm. kind of content, the kind of content you create. Now, mm -hmm. if, if someone approached you and was like, hey, I listened to your podcast. I think it was tremendous. We want to put this on film, turn it into a documentary would you oh yes absolutely now like could could you then recycle some of that content the interviews you have and use that as like narration voiceover like could you use that podcast as a way to cut ties in the budget cut the budget down of a feature-length documentary film yeah because it's the script the script's already written the script's the already script written for the podcast is the script for the documentary mm. so it'd be pretty easy to do so um do you do you see do you see this kind of relationship between film and podcasting possible? And I think I think it has to come from 
the the film industry to come to podcasts because if podcasters go to um, film industry, it's going to be an uphill battle. Or do you, do you how do you see that relationship? I think a lot of it has to do with who's generating the content and, mm. and what their game is. Um, there was a, a documentary recently on Showtime, and they kicked it off with a eight episode podcast. And then it all led in, dovetailed right into the documentary. Their last episode of the podcast turned in the first episode of the documentary, and they coincided on the same day. Mm. So, you know, there's people out there thinking about maximizing that. Because when you have these interviews, um, I can use them as audio interviews or as video interviews. Um, and, and, you know, also when you have these kinds of people interviewed, it's not uncommon that documentary filmmakers will acquire a piece of uh, an interview from somebody else. So if somebody came to me and said, oh, you interviewed uh, Anna McNeely for your Assault in El Capitan film. Can we use that interview for our film? Well, I'll, I'll look at what their script is and I'll look at what section they want to use. And if it has no, no value, serious value for one of my projects, then I will license it to them. So you can license interviews and footage and, you know, audio interviews or whatever you do. Sometimes people will actually purchase your research from you because you've already done it and they're going to make a film on it and you've already done the research, you can license that and you can navigate yourself a, a co-producer credit or, yeah. you know, the world's very flexible that way. And I think that, that when you get involved, you know, the deeper you get involved in podcasting and, and, and filmmaking, um, I think, as you said before, the world gets small. So especially in adventure filmmaking, like I was involved with, there's not that many people out there doing it. So we pretty much know each other. Um, and, you know, in, in some of my films, I've called a guy I knew and I said, hey, you know, I need this. I need a, a section in a film you did five years ago. I really want to use that section. So he sends it to me and I put a credit on the bottom, you know, a lower third that this is courtesy of blah, blah, right. blah. Cut that into my film and it it works. You know, it's 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 try again, working smart and not hard. Do I really want to go fly across the country and interview this guy? Or has somebody already done it, and can I use it? Huh. You know, I know, I know, I know, I know. We spoke before we started recording that you know people in Hollywood tend to overlook people who are above the age of thirty-five or even at mm -hmm. thirty-five years old. But I'm going to tell you, I think they're making a mistake because I think you are bringing up incredible points on so many different aspects. Um, so, do you? How do being in the film industry? How do people in film view podcasting as an industry? Is it is it an opportunity? Is it um, are they over they overlook it or are they consider it um, opposition? I think early on they overlooked it and they overlooked it at their own peril. And I think if you look now, you'll see that it's all unless you're an A list star it's almost imperative that you find some way to have a podcast. Almost every stand-up comedian does now, and they're mm -hmm. using it as a vehicle to promote their shows or to promote their content. And that's really what it's become. You know, the old days when we were growing up of, you know, the afternoon talk shows, Ellen's probably the last of the afternoon talk shows that, that has any real relevance. Um, but there used to be dozens of them. So stars used to go on all the time, all day long. And, and back in the day, there was more, um, 
you know, stay at home moms and they would watch these shows and you would learn about TV shows and learn about books and learn about movies all from these daytime talk shows. The nighttime talk shows, the late night ones, they're fine, but you know, they, it, they're not getting, I don't know. They're not Letterman and Carl, uh, Johnny Carson <laughs> right? They're not or, or Jay Leno. Yeah. And you have a three minute segment to, right. to pimp out your stuff. People don't want but that kind of, people don't want that kind of content anymore. They want the long form conversational they 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 really people say like you know you know the short form is better because the attention spans you know i i agree but i also disagree because look at the most famous podcast out there joe rogan talks them for three hours on average right mm -hmm. i think people mm -hmm. really want especially from actors politicians people of clout quote-unquote they want to hear them in that long form not just a 30 second soundbite for tmz Right, right. And I think one of the things that they're looking at um, in that realm is they don't look at podcasting as podcasting, hmm. as a sole entity. Podcasting to them is social media. So hmm. they have an Instagram account and they have Instagram followers. They have a Facebook account. They have a t whatever they've got, right? Podcasting is another slice of that social media. It's not its own entity. One doesn't lead to the other. One is the other. And it's all part of a cohesive plan. So in this area of social media where celebrities don't hide anymore, they don't hide their personal lives, they'll throw out everything on social media. Now, if we're interested in that particular celebrity, we can go on their podcast and we can hear who they are. We can hear their real voice. We can hear their opinions. Um, and that's a risky, risky thing for celebrities but it's ultimately working for them. So you may have celebrities that go on and, and they say things and you don't agree with them. So you don't like them anymore, but they find that there are more people who want to hear that and they're going to disregard them. There was a study done years ago on Howard Stern and Howard Stern had people who hated him, you know, with death threats. They hated Oh yeah. He was so but controversial. So controversial, but they, when they did a study, they found out the people who loved Howard Stern listened to him an average of 20 minutes a day, usually in the car or whatever. The people who hated Howard Stern listened to him 50 minutes a day. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I have a, my the film Assault on El Capitan is about a, a guy doing a rock climb that is the most controversial rock climb in Yosemite history. It was, it was an insane, insane story. I had death threats against me when I was making this film, I had all kinds of people attacking me online. There were people attacking me, quoting lines from the movie that I didn't even remember were in the movie. So they <laughs> clearly had watched this movie five and six times. Some of them told me they watched it 10 times and they hated me for it. Well, every time they click play, I got paid. The people who loved that movie never watched it more than twice. So Creating a controversy and creating something that somebody is angry about, you're going to make more money from that guy than you are from the guy who loves you. You know, I have a lot of wrestling – I know a lot of wrestling fans who need to hear that exact same thing. What you just said, yeah, because mm -hmm. the, the, the diehard wrestling fans – same with Star Wars. They mm -hmm. hate it. They absolutely hate it, but they watch it the most, which I think, oh, is, which I think is incredible. Um right. So I guess it's a good time to do a shameless plug for the Mad Bro podcast, which is my podcast where we talk about what people are mad about. <laughs> so. Yeah, that's great. I mean, look at wrestlers, right? They, they, they be, they're good guys. They're bad guys. They're good guys. They're bad guys. You gain fans by switching sides. Yeah. 
you know, Hulk, I, I'm old enough to remember when Hulk Hogan came in as a bad guy, and then he was a good guy, and then he was a bad guy. It's like, God, I wasn't a wrestling fan, but I tuned in to watch Hulk Hogan because I want to know what's, what are they, what do they have him doing now? Yeah. You know, it's, I just thought it was terrific. I think wrestling, though I'm not a, a fan per se, I'm a fan of the genre. I love that they create these these storylines and they they are the 21st century soap operas. They oh, yeah. get over from, you know, as the world turns. It's now it's wrestling. I think that's terrific. Yeah, they're 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 totally male soap operas. If everyone says yeah. it's a male soap opera, I'm like, yeah, yeah, I can't I can't say you're wrong, but they're also incredible athletes and they do they do live theater. They are um without question some of the best athletes I've ever seen and what they will what they can do and what they are willing to do, there is nobody playing major sports that is willing to do that. Yeah. Nobody. And remember, kids, it's not fake. It's choreographed. <laughs> it's script it's scripted. Yeah. Here's a difference. Well, they, you know, whether you take a punch or not, you can't fake flying off a ladder. You can't fake getting hit with a chair. You can't I mean, that stuff is just astonishing to me. These are they're athletes who are doing real stunts right in front of your face. Right. You go to you go to the movies and Tom Cruise has a stunt man. You watch wrestling and whoever the wrestling star is today, he doesn't have a stunt man. It's him. Right. Even even with wrestling, and this is also similar in other aspects of TV, podcasting has helped boost the popularity of wrestling because the mm-hmm. big the biggest wrestling podcasts in the world right now is like two or three of them. The number one one is uh, something to wrestle with Bruce Pritchard, who Bruce Pritchard was a producer during the Attitude Era in the 90s, and he was backstage since the 80s, and he worked up mm-hmm. for him for 2008. And this guy this got the best gig in the world talking to him about stories about the backscene stuff. And wrestling right. fans were just like, oh my God, this is everything I always wanted. So you're seeing a lot of those things pop up. Like my mother loves Sons of Anarchy. I come home for mm-hmm. Christmas. I'm like, what's she listening to? She's listening to a podcast of two actors from Sons of Anarchy breaking down some of the episodes of behind the scenes stuff from Sons of Anarchy. Sopranos, right. it's the same thing. My Mike Sherpa, I think that's his name. Uh, the big, the big guy, and uh, and, and uh, Tony's nephew. They mm-hmm. have a podcast, and they bring on special guests. Like they brought on um, Tony's wife. They brought on the kids, uh, uh, Willow, as I think it was Willow, and the and the kid, whatever. But yeah. like that that relationship is getting stronger and stronger. And it's interesting to me that you said they view the film industry views it as another social media tool. Yeah, right. and, and while yes, I agree. I th- I still think they're falling a little bit short because podcasting, in my opinion, is its own independent industry. Hmm. Like what? Mm-hmm. What do you think? Do you think? Do you do you think the film and TV they're getting closer? But do you think they're still maximizing the benefits of a podcast? I think they're getting there, but I think, um, like anything, Hollywood is too big to be quick and mobile. Mm. So, for for Warner Brothers to start a podcast, it's got to go through so many layers of you know, approval and then you got to go to legal and you got to go to this and then you've got to deal with agents. I mean, to, for them to do a podcast, is just like them trying to make a movie. So you've got all this stuff where the rest of us can very quickly do 10 episodes. That's not working. I'll do something else. Warner Brothers could not do that. They couldn't be that nimble and that quick. Um, and I think that, 
celebrities are the same way. They're, most of them don't want to do a podcast and most of them don't have anything to do with it other than they walk in when they're told they do their hour and they leave. Somebody else produces it. Somebody else edits it. Somebody else does, you know. So it, it's sort of like the old days when they would say, you know, I, I do my own stunts. Well, we all know nobody did their own stunts. Um, they say, well, I have a podcast. Well, no, you are hosting a internet radio show you are you are, really, a, you are a piece of that podcast <laughs> you're a piece of that but you're an employee really. yeah, yeah you know um joe rogan obviously a, a different type of an entity and a different kind of a, a podcaster um but it's great that there's opportunity for everyone because even though there are genres of podcasting i'm not a big fan of i am thrilled that there is an opportunity for everybody to get out there and do this mm-hmm. and give it a try because you know, the, all these industries, no matter what it is, are difficult to break into. And to find a way to break in and do it yourself is a game changer. And I think it has changed um, the way Hollywood approaches things. They are bringing money to it, right? That, like if, if you wanted to get a star on your podcast, it wouldn't be that hard to do it if you've got a decent audience. They'll they'll sign up and show up. Um, it's, it's, you know, a lot of mystique around Hollywood is is – strange and bizarre and it's just because we don't realize that the biggest star on television is just a guy with a job who has a boss yeah and he can get fired next week and if he gets fired it's detrimental to him he's got a wife and a family and a house payment and a car payment and kids in college he has the same monthly nut everybody does um so you know, I, I always looked at everybody who I always work with. Is you're just a you have a different job than me, but we're all the same. We all have the same, you know, human desires and human needs and expenses, and so it's in their best interest to help promote, to make their show more successful. Because if their show's successful, then they get to keep their job. And also, you know, podcasting is just another way they can do that and reach people who are driving in their car. Yeah, you know, for a lengthy amount length amount of time. You know, do, it's not like a, a two-minute press release. Do you think COVID had something to do with um, this this kind of new sensation that the film industry has picked up on podcasting? Do you think because they can't, they literally can't do anything else, like they they can't go and shoot? Do you think that kind of forced them to adapt and go, hey, look at this thing over here? It's a a, a podcast. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it, yeah. It's 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 interesting because they're almost recycling the 30s because there's now podcasts i listened to one the other day that's a story podcast that's done by um willem defoe is one of the the voices and you know they're doing full-on radio dramas yeah and they're, they're coming selling back it to us they're selling it to us like it's new content like it's new it's not i mean it's hilarious that they're trying to sell us dramatic podcasts as something that's never been done before <laughs> it was the first thing that was done. Well, it has never been done before. It's just it's on the internet. There is no internet. It's instead of the right. radio. <laughs> right. No, but I know I know ex- I know exactly what you mean, and that that's what's what's old is new again, and then what's new is going to be old again, just to be turned new again, uh, mm-hmm. because you know, like the Rogan deal. And the, I think to me the the glorious thing about podcasting is that it's just it's free. You can do whatever you want. You can say whatever you want. There's really no executives yet. But as soon as we had, we were in the we had podcasting is now kind of in the early phase of radio. It's as soon as you get the TV, mm-hmm. 
and Rogan was the first domino to fall, you're going to see a lot of those exclusive deals. Pretty yeah. soon, exclusivity is going to be dead in podcasting in the next five to ten years, and I think, and I think that's a mistake because I think that's mm-hmm. what sets everything apart. Like that's what like Netflix, HBO, Disney Plus is all running into because they all own their content. Well, podcasts, it's like, oh, I can have one on all of them. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it it benefits the content creator more than anything. Whereas an exclusive deal like Rogan, it benefits Rogan because he's Joe Rogan. Right. But no one else is going to get that kind of deal because they're going to they're going to sell too early. Like what yeah. do you, what do you where do you see that relationship moving forward in the next in the next five ten years? I I, I uh, it's really interesting because um, you know podcasting was the wild west and it was so much fun and watching mm-hmm. it sort of. I, I remember, and you, I'm sure you do, You reason we listen to podcasts and not radios because there was no commercials. And now they're loaded with commercials, beginning, middle, and end. And there's all the research about where you need to put your chapter markers and where you need to put your commercials and all that kind of stuff. Um, so it's already shifting. And we're moving from passion to business. Early podcasters were passionate and if they were able to find a business model at it, that's terrific. But these networks are popping up and compartmentalizing the content. But it's no different than when the network started making television shows and the five studios were making all their A-list movies. There was always room for the independent filmmaker. There was always room for the iconoclasts out there doing things that nobody else would do or nobody else would pay them to do, but they didn't care. They just didn't care. They're going to do it anyway. So I think there will always be room for those of us out there that are not the Joe Rogans. There will be them, and then there will be us. There will be the the network television, and there will be the the – you know, public access. The Wayne's so, world, yeah. Yeah, and I think that, that um, and then there will be celebrities that pop up in the independent world. I mean, there's, in film, there's Jim Jarmusch and there's Quentin Tarantino and these these celebrities in the independent world, the, the David Lynch's. Those guys work outside the studio system for the most part. Um, and that's what we're doing is we're these people out here working outside the big network system of podcasting, but it doesn't mean there's not room for us. And it doesn't mean there's not money to be made. You know, we're not going to get $30 million Joe Rogan deals. I don't need $30 million, you know, just, so I, I, I'm excited that that's happening. Um, it's not discouraging because you just have to navigate a new way. I've been, I've been making films in this kind of stuff for 35 years. I've always had to reinvent how my films get out there. Mm -hmm. You know, I I started cutting film when I was actually physically with a razor blade cutting the picture of the film. I started editing audio when I was physically cutting audio tape and, and building shows piece by piece. So you have to evolve, and that's not just with the technical, that's with the content as well. I, I think it's an exciting time. I think it's great that I can sit here in my office and talk to you through the, the telephone, and we can talk about podcasting and its future because I think it's bright. And I think you're certainly, and your group is really on to something. Um, you know, and I'm, I'm hoping I'm on to something, but I know it's satisfying for me. Yeah. No, you you have you have a unique perspective on podcasting coming from that entertainment world. Um 
And I think I think there needs to be more of that because your podcast is it is very entertaining and you do it by yourself. Um most for the most part it's strictly your voice. You write everything else. I can't believe you do every all this by yourself, a one man show. That's absolutely unbelievable. So I tip my hat off to you. But before we go, Jeff, uh, where can they find your podcast? Where can they find the high adventures? Where can they find all of your work? Please, the floor is yours. Um my podcast is High Adventure Podcast. It's on all of the podcast platforms out there. And my films are Assault on El Capitan, which is a feature documentary. Um, it is on all the streaming services, not Netflix. Don't get me started with Netflix. I won't sign with Netflix. Um, but it's on Amazon Prime. So if you've got Amazon Prime, you can watch it for free. It's on PlayStation and, and all those Google Reds and all that stuff. Um, you know, and then I've got, uh, if you go to my website, accidentalproductions.net, you can see some other content. Our web series is, is on there. They link to my Vimeo channel and my YouTube channel, accidentalproductions.net. Our old podcasts are up there. So, um, you know, a couple places you can find us. Mm. All right. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that was Jeff Vargin of the High Adventures podcast. Jeff, thank you so much for being here. Um, I thought we had a very, very, very good conversation. Not quite exactly where I thought it was going to go. But hey, sometimes as a host in production, you know, sometimes you just got to let it ride. Well, I will say this about you, Will. I, uh, you are an excellent host. Thank you. You are somebody who listens and asks follow-up questions because – you know, some of the things that I thought we were talking about, we never got to, but I had a really good time and I don't think we missed a beat. I think we had a good time, but you're really good at what you do. And, um, you know, I hope we get to talk to each other again down the road. Of course. I'm sure we will stay in touch because I'm sure this, po this podcast really is a opportunity for networking as well. And ladies and gentlemen, if you want to be on this podcast, if you have a podcast or are thinking about starting your own podcast, please feel free to reach out to us at info at APSpodcast.com. That's A-P-S-P-O-D-C-A-S-T.com. Um, if you want me to interview you in, in particular, feel free to email me at will at APSpodcast.com. Our other hosts are Jared Laverne, our head of marketing, and Nash Moore, our director of operations. And go to ambiguouspodcastsolutions.com and find all of our podcasts associated with our network. Myself, the You Mad Bro podcast, as well as the Kings of the Rings podcast, uh, Nash Moore does uh, Midnight Showing, which is all about movies, reviews of obscure movies. Uh, Jared Laverne does Gold Dream Professionals, where he interviews uh, entrepreneurs, a bunch of others of our original content all on there or all other podcast platforms. But until then, we'll be back next week with a brand new guest, possibly a new host. But until then, that was a big mouthful. We'll see you all next time.